Everyone's life has been impacted by addiction in one way or the other, which is why Lemonada Media has an important new podcast for those seeking information about the science, research, and reality of addiction. It's called In Recovery. The weekly show is hosted by the brilliant Dr. Nzinga Harrison. She's a physician board certified in psychiatry and addiction medicine. She offers listeners a heartfelt approach to treating all kinds of addiction. You can listen to In Recovery on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Reshma, and we're doing something a little different today. I'm going to share an episode from another great podcast that I think you're going to love. It's called Inflection Point, and it's hosted by the fabulous Lauren Schiller. The show's all about women rising up, the quest for equality, and how social change happens. Inflection Point brings honest, powerful stories of how change gets made and helps us come away with a new way of responding to problems that the world throws at us. I'm gonna share an episode that's just awesome and shows the power of young people to make a difference. It's about a young climate activist fighting to reverse the impact of climate crisis. Her name is Isha Clark, and she's one of the founding members of Youth vs. Apocalypse. You might know this brilliant young activist from a video that went viral where she asked California Senator Dianne Feinstein to move the Green New Deal forward. It's a great episode of Inflection Point with Lauren Schiller, and I hope you enjoy it. Were, were you in the room when that when those original demands were being made about the Green New Deal? Were you, were you, were you in that video? <laughs> I was. If we look at that video, which one? Well, yes. <laughs> I'm the tall girl with curly hair <laughs> that had on like a tan shirt. We have come to a point where our earth is dying, literally. And it is going to be a pricey and ambitious plan that is needed to deal with the magnitude of that issue. I said, um, we're the people who voted for you. You're supposed to listen to us. And she said, I'm 16, I can't well, you didn't vote. vote for me. Well, she- Do you remember that video that was going around last February? It was put out by the Sunrise Movement and shows kids visiting Senator Dianne Feinstein to ask her to move forward with the Green New Deal. That young woman with the curly hair and the tan shirt, her name is Isha Clark. Isha also helped organize the youth climate strike in September in San Francisco that made a very strategic circuit around the city, stopping at the offices of Nancy Pelosi, Bank of America, Amazon Go, BlackRock, PG&E, ICE, and yes, Dianne Feinstein. For each of the targets that we stopped at, we had the reasons why. But in each of the demands, which also aligned with the targets that we stopped at, we had the you know, one sentence bolded demand. And then we had an explanation of that demand and what it really means. And then we had an action item. So it was like one very specific thing that you could do or you could work towards to make that demand happen. They even recorded chants ahead of time so the students would know what to say at each stop. Speaker Pelosi, we are the youth. Green New Deal, we demand the truth. Amazon, do your share. You need to treat your workers fair. PG&E, no more greed. We should own our energy. I am Feinstein. Listen to us. We are the 
people, you work for us. What do you think is going to change their mind? Mm -hmm. Do you have any sense of that? Well, I think that pressure makes diamonds. <laughs> and so I think a lot of what makes change is putting pressure on power holders because power holders only have power because of the people. And so we really have to always remember that and not feel um, disempowered. Asia is a high school student in Oakland. And as part of being a student at her particular school, she gets to have an internship, which means she gets to spend time working with Youth versus Apocalypse, which is a Bay Area youth climate justice organization. She's there several afternoons a week working on an issue she's passionate about, which is clearly the climate. And when I'm explaining what we do, I say that our job is both to redefine what climate justice means and really working on the movement from the inside, trying to make sure that frontline voices are always centered and that we have this very clear agenda of justice and then also pushing that movement forward and trying to normalize climate justice and reverse the climate crisis. This is Inflection Point. I'm Lauren Schiller with stories of how women rise up. Can you, will you tell me a little bit more about yourself outside the organization? Yeah. Um, that's a question I don't get a lot. <laughs> um, so I am a dancer. Um, really, I, I would call myself an artist in general. I love a lot of different forms of art. I am very much an overachiever. I, I don't know. I guess that's kind of a big part of my identity. I'm like always doing the most. I'm always very extra. Everything has to be the best. And I think that carries over to a lot of different areas of my life. So are you, um, you dance with Destiny Arts? Mm-hmm. I, w I had a chance to see a performance of theirs a couple of years ago and was just totally blown away. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you were in it <laughs> a couple of years ago as well. Mm -hmm. So I, saw, I must have seen you on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm also curious about you know, you're a senior in high school. I've got I've got two daughters. One's a junior and one's a freshman. And of course, as a parent, I'm always trying to figure out, you know, how do I best set my kid up for success? And, you know, how do I how involved do I get versus how much do I stand back? So I'm I'm kind of curious what your relationship is with your parents mm -hmm. or how much they've been involved. And did you have you always been an overachiever, like from the time you came out of the <laughs> womb? <laughs> what's what's all you know, what's the interaction there? You know, that's an interesting question. And like, especially as I've been starting my college applications and like having to write personal statements and like thinking about like, who am I? How did I become this person? How did I get to where I am? Like, I've been thinking about that a lot. And I don't know, I think part of it I kind of have always just been wired to be extra and be an overachiever. But I think I also have been super lucky to have um, a very supportive network always. And um, I never have any memory of anyone telling me that, like, I wasn't capable of doing something or that I wasn't good enough to do it or or anything like that. And so, like, I guess my whole life I've been surrounded by really intelligent, really compassionate people who have always told me you can do anything you want to do. And so I think it's definitely nature and nurture. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you ever feel like the, the you know, this whole thing around perfectionism has mm -hmm. started coming to light that, you know, we ask so much of our daughters and mm -hmm. that it can be overwhelming? I mean, do, does that ever come into play for you? Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to to realize that 
it the only thing that really matters is that you are happy and that you feel comfortable in the body and in the being that you are and so that's something that I've just starting to, started to realize that like I feel comfortable in in who I am and in what I'm doing and if I start to not then I know that I need to change something to make sure that I feel comfortable and that I'm happy and I think that's the only thing that really matters. But that's really hard to do in a society that's telling you what you should do and who you should be all the time. So it takes a lot of self-reflection and self-awareness constantly to really like be aware of that. And where do you find the time or space to to have that reflection? Mm. That is a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I want all that. Yes. I need all the insights. <laughs> yes. You know, I think to be so honest, I need to do a better job of of giving myself time to, you know, do self-care and to have time to self-reflect. But something that I started doing was keeping an, a journal. And it kind of started off as a thing where I only wrote when I was in crisis. And I felt like it didn't keep a very true reflection of my life, like when I would read back on it, you you know, so like I started trying to write every night and, you know, I hated like the corniness of it. Like today I did this and this and this. So I'd, it depends on like whatever I'm feeling that night is what I'll put in it. So like sometimes I'll do like a really corny journal entry and sometimes I'll write a poem or sometimes I'll make a list or, you know. It just depends. And like really being able to just drain my brain, not really think about what I'm writing. And in that, I think one, it clears my brain. So I'm able to have like better thoughts and like that's when I really get to check in with myself and also just seeing like what gets put on the paper. What what was I thinking today? What did I do today? I guess that's one thing. That yeah. Well, OK, so tell me how you got involved in youth versus apocalypse. Mm hmm. I got involved with Youth First Apocalypse before YVA was actually like a thing. Um, so I was a part of a different organization called Jewish Youth for Community Action, JICA. And through JICA, we um, kind of partner or work with other organizations and we go to their actions that they're planning. And so one of these actions was targeting Phil Tagami, who is a very prominent developer in Oakland and was suing or is suing the city of Oakland to try to build a coal terminal through West Oakland, which is a very disadvantaged community and is disproportionately black and brown and low income. And so at that action, I really realized how central environmental racism was or is to climate justice and how historically the environmental justice movement didn't reflect the actual people who are on the front lines of the the injustice and so I was like wow this is real like this is this is a fight for lives this is not a fight for the polar bears and the rainforest you know it is but Really, it's about saving our lives and about creating an equitable, just world. And so I really felt like that was where I wanted to be and be what I wanted to fight for. So it was it was a direct action. So we went to his office and it was really funny. So the theme was Christmas in June. 
And so we were all dressed up as elves. Like we had little elf hats and stuff like that. This um, is the Jewish organization. No. So, oh. so no, 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 it was not. <laughs> so, so okay. I, we, it was a different, it wasn't like an organization, but it was a group of people from, um, I think mostly middle schools who organized this action. And Jaika was like bringing some of our members to go help them out with that. Okay. Yes. Yeah, okay. Clarify that. <laughs> but the theme was Christmas in June. That's okay. ironic. I never thought about it that way before. <laughs> we went into his office with these elf hats on and there was like a long scroll and it was signed by a bunch of kids all over the Bay Area or all over Oakland specifically who were saying that they didn't want coal for Christmas. And so we were expecting to just go into his office and probably deliver the scroll to his secretaries, like not thinking that he would come out. But we wound up running into him on his way to the bathroom. And that was really interesting. Um, so we wound up actually being able to talk to him. And, you know, for people, I don't know how like many people know about what happened with Senator Feinstein, but the interaction was very similar where it was like, this super powerful person who had some role in climate change was I I challenged what he was saying and he like walked up on me and was like trying to intimidate me and I could he was sweating bullets like I could tell that he was really nervous and you know now that I think about it that was the first time where I like had that feeling of that real direct action where you're like looking into the eyes of the power holder and and challenging the nonsense that they're saying and I was like whoa like this is this is awesome like this is exactly what I need to be doing and now it's been a pattern apparently <laughs> that's amazing so can you just paint a little bit more of the picture so how old were you guys I was 13. Okay. I believe I was a freshman in high school. Okay. And how many? And it was mostly 13. Yeah, it was mostly middle schoolers. Um, I think there must have been a few high schoolers because I was in high school. But yeah, it was like between the ages of maybe like, what, probably 10 and like 14. And how many of you were there? Ooh, there was probably about... 10 to 15. Okay, so 10 to 15, 10 to 14 year olds yes. are marching down the uh, marching down the hall with your scroll and you run into yes. this guy on his way to the bathroom. Yes. And you, yes. And you just say, "Excuse me, <laughs> we need to talk." Yeah, pretty much. So that was a few years ago now. Um and so what what led you to be so involved in in a leadership position really with Youth versus Apocalypse at this moment? You know, I think it kind of just happened. I think because I am an original member of Youth vs. Apocalypse, so I've been in it, like, almost the longest. I think there's a couple other people that were original members with me, but just having been in it the longest and also YVA really went through this very quick transition between this local, like, kind of organization where we were fighting against this coal terminal, and then we quickly transitioned to organizing on national and global levels. And I had been a part of the group in like both areas or whatever. <laughs> so like I kind of just got it just happened. Are you thinking in terms of local action or are you thinking on a broader scale or how kind of how do you think about the best way to approach mm -hmm. challenging injustice and challenging the problems that are creating climate change? You know, from from where you stand. I mean, where where do you focus your energy? I think that you can't separate one from the other, especially now with all the climate strikes going on. I think what we're doing is we're connecting a bunch of local fights 
And that becomes this global movement. And so like the Bay Area climate strike, we had our own list of demands. We were targeting local um, perpetrators, I guess you can call them. And so were other people all over the planet. And so we were each kind of fighting our own local battle, but we were standing in solidarity together. And so it became this global movement. And so I think at least for right now, the most powerful, I don't, I don't know if I want to say powerful, but but the way that we're going about it is saying, if you take on your local battle and I take on mine, then we're getting both at the same time and we're making global change. And so that's that's how YVA is kind of approaching it right now. Well, I'd love to talk about the climate strike. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what was your involvement in pulling all of that together? I mean, there were like over 10,000 mostly students marching in San Francisco in yeah. September for the International Week of Action. Yeah, I think there was actually like 30,000. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Our tens estimate, of thousands. Yes, tens of thousands. I helped write the demands um, and helped with some of the logistical things, but mostly my job um, in YVA is media outreach and press, like I, I wrote the press release, almost forgot about that. And then I do a lot of interviews and call the media outlets and make sure that they're coming. You know, it never happened if it doesn't get recorded or talked about, you know. So that's mostly what I do with little other things here and there. Okay. So what, I mean, what are what are the main barriers to actually changing the course of history? Yeah. You know, what What are you seeing that's in our way? Wow. There's a lot of things. I guess I'll connect it back to the climate strike. So our, we had seven demands and our demands were very intersectional and, you know, called out ICE and asked for Medicare for all and also asked for the Green New Deal. And, you know, we were talking about things that people said were too far away from climate justice. And what we were really trying to convey through those demands were like all of this is connected and that Fighting the climate crisis is also fighting all of the systems of oppression that undergird our world that have led us to this crisis. And in doing that, we're taking on the task of completely dismantling everything that we know. And that is really scary. And people say that it's idealistic. And so I think that's one of the biggest fights, shifting people from this idea of the the task being too big and too hard and that needed change isn't attainable and also our time restraint you know we just had this action at chevron on the september 27th and we actually got to talk to some chevron executives and what we were saying was we don't have this time for this long slow transition to renewable energy we just don't have that time And they were saying, you know, well, change is slow. And over the course of history, you see that change has been slow. And that's exactly the problem. You know, we cannot do things the way that they've been done before. And that scares people. And it forces us to think in a completely new way than we ever have before. And so I think that's the largest task is shifting from believing that what we need is idealistic and finding a way to do it is is the biggest task. Yeah. And and so and then so really convincing not just 
not just our own community and the people around us to participate in making those demands, but convincing the, as you call them, the perpetrators, but yes. really the power holders yes. to change the way that they're approaching things. Definitely. So I would really encourage people to go to our website, youthversusapocalypse.org, and look at those demands from the strike and look at the action items because there are specific things that you can do. Um, and I think that was another one of our goals of the strike to show people that like there are tangible actions that we can all take to do something about this, to target these really powerful um, corporations and companies. So you you alluded to this a little bit earlier, but in terms of who you are thinking about that is, I mean, we're all going to be affected by climate change in one way or the other, but some people are more insulated than others. And um, you know, you started to talk about the coal terminal in, going through Oakland. I mean, who who are the communities that are mm-hmm. going to essentially be on the front lines of being affected mm-hmm. as our climate gets into more and more trouble? You know, historically, communities of color, indigenous communities, low income communities have been targeted by environmental injustice. And so all the oil refineries are put in communities of color. The coal terminals that are being planned to build are built through communities of color and pipelines are built through indigenous water supply and and sacred lands. And it we see it happening over and over and over again. And it's really it's so sad to think about that, you know. Um, and the other thing I would say is is actually a story or not really a story, but something that we always talk about in YVA, especially like when the all the wildfires were happening. Um, you know, some people had the money and the time and the resources to be able to go out and buy air filters for their house. And other people just had to close the doors and the windows and hope for the best. And the people who were having to hope for the best are also where the highest rates of asthma were. And so, you know, that also just goes to show the, you know, the systematic nature of that injustice. I mean, do you think, you know, I mean, I I guess the the real issue is that the people who hold the power are not feeling the pain. Right. And they're feeling and, and but they'll they'll feel the pain when when the people speak out and, and you know, and, and mm-hmm. pressure makes diamonds, like you said. I mean, how far does this have to go before they actually, you know, these mm-hmm. these people who can make decisions that will change the course of our climate feel that pain? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, are there strategies for that? You know, I mean, I like to think that I have all the answers, but I really <laughs> don't. And I, I guess that time will only tell. But mm-hmm. I think that the biggest thing that we can do is to never forget the power that we have as the people. And really, I have to emphasize this point again, that power holders would not have power if it weren't for the people. And so just every day as a mantra, as an affirmation, remind yourself that you have power and that power is multiplied and multiplied as you link arms with other people and stand in solidarity. And that really, you know, businesses and politicians are all needing us. And so if we put pressure on them, then they're going to have to change eventually. I don't know when that will be, but the more pressure, hopefully the sooner it will be. So what, um, what, I mean, what would you say is the big, bold vision for Youth versus Apocalypse? I mean, to save the world. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> to, well, let me add to that. To save the world and to make sure that the new world that comes from that 
is sustainable and is just and is equitable and is run by solutions that are created by frontline communities or communities that have previously been on the front lines because there will be no more frontline communities in our new world. Um, I think that's like the the dream, the mission. Do you have do you have any role models out there that you're looking to that oh. are that are accomplishing great things that you aspire? I would have to say to? AOC. Yeah. <laughs> I love that woman so much. Oh my God. I just think that she is so badass. Like just plain and simple, you know. Well, she was the she was one of the people who even came up with the Green New Deal. She's super young and is unapologetically Latina and is just always speaks truth to power whenever it's needed and often when people don't want it which is when they really need it the most and I think she just is so fearless and powerful and intelligent and just ah I just love her. Well, what about, um, I mean, it, it seems also like, it, you know, so so she, she's an adult. She's in the halls of power. You know, you're in high school. You're, you know, you're on the ground making a difference. What are you seeing in terms of, you know, I'll just put it in quotes, youth being taken seriously in this moment? I mean, mm-hmm. do you feel like, do you feel like people are paying attention and that it's, you know, it's not just, oh, it's just a bunch of kids? You know, even in the past year, I think that young people who are leading this movement have been getting like a lot more attention and not even just like, oh, look at all the kids out like protesting like they're really doing something. And, you know, the fossil fuel industry actually like. They said that they're the number one threat to their way of doing business, which is poisoning the earth, is young people because we've been doing so much, making so much noise, putting so much pressure on them and company other like banks and insurance companies that are supporting them in their projects that we are making a statement and people are listening. And I think they're trying to, you know, keep us out, but it's inevitable that we're going to really make some change. And I really believe that. Is there anyone historically that you've looked back at and thought, okay, you know, that that was a group of youth that went out there and made a difference that you were like, you know, they did this, they made it happen. Hmm. Any, any predecessors? I think that the first group that comes to my mind is the Black Panther Party. I don't think they were like specifically youth, but there was a lot of young people. And I know that it was started by college students or they were college students at the time. And that a lot of the people who were a part of it were like 17, 18, 19. So that's the first group that really comes to my mind. They were revolutionary. And I definitely, especially being from Oakland and West Oakland, um, they're very influential to me and are another like group of people and and organization that I really look up to. Well, what have you what have you found difficult about this work and how have you, you know, how have you overcome, you know, any mm. barriers that you've run into? I mean, we already established that you're ambitious and you like to get a lot of stuff yes. done. <laughs> so oh, my gosh. I imagine I imagine like pretty much like very little gets in your way. But mm. what have you found to be difficult? Mm. You know, I think, well, a a couple things. One of them is doing this work. You kind of live in this space of having to think about this really scary future all the time. And also now, like, you know, the PG&E shut down and the hurricanes and all these things that are very, like, 
recent that are very tied to climate change and are just kind of giving us a peek into the world that we're facing is really like scary and almost like traumatizing to just live in that space all the time and at the same time having to be quote-unquote normal and having to think about going to school and studying for your exams and applying to college and you know you have to live in both of these worlds all the time and it's really interesting and it's challenging a lot of the time like how can I study for this exam when the fate of the world is also on my shoulders is is something that I'm always you know bouncing back and forth between yeah yeah I mean and and it's sort of almost like to protect yourself you have to I don't know, for me anyway, it's like, and I'm not in the middle of it like you are, but I sometimes have to just pretend that that's not happening Mm -hmm. so that I can get the work done today that I need to get done to, you know, make a living and, you know, get food on the table and and so on. But in reality, it's just omnipresent, ever moving forward, never, you know, never stopping. So it's stressful. I think that's definitely something that I used to do. But What I try to do now instead of pretending that it's not happening is telling myself that there's no other option but for us to make sure that it doesn't happen. And I think that's a little bit more positive or it's more positive, but it's it's not like it it gets the the same effect, you know, just just like this has to happen. Like this can't be real. Like we're going to do something, especially like just with all the progress that we've made. The first climate strike that we did, which was March 15th, I believe, there was 3,000. Yes, there was 3,000 or 2,000 people there and we were ecstatic. It was like incredible. It was like, we were like, oh my God, we just did that. And then September 20th comes and we have like 30 to 40,000 people there. And that just shows how people are really paying attention and are getting inspired and are wanting to get involved and moments like that just really like make me believe that that we really can make a change I really believe it yeah and it's it's good that I believe it because I'd be in a bad situation yeah. if I didn't <laughs> I believe it too and I don't I don't mean to say that I you know I'm like spend every day pretending that it's not happening. It's just sort of like a, it's almost like a stress, you know. No, like the I totally understand. But I do talk to people who say like, it's too much for me. Like mm-hmm. I have to, you know, I want to just stick my head in the sand and mm-hmm. um, we can't. Right. <laughs> we just can't. There won't even right. be any sand. Maybe it'll be all sand. <laughs> right. <laughs> if you're head down there too long. Right. It's like when you, when you sleep in too long and your mom comes in and rips off the blanket off you, yeah. it's like, that's what's happening right yeah. now. <laughs> like, there's really, we can't wait any longer. Yeah, we got to <laughs> jump up out of that bed. Right. <laughs> it's the day. So have you thought about what all the work that you're doing now will mean for you after high school? I mean, what kinds of things are you looking at as you're looking at colleges? And Yeah, it's definitely something that I'm starting to think about right now, like in this very moment. Yeah. Um. Right, you're a senior and we're recording yeah. this in October. October and yeah. applications are due. Yeah, I'm. Soon. <laughs> yeah, they're the UC applications are due November, but I don't think I'm gonna apply to UC. So I have until like January, really December. Um, but you know that's a great question because I don't think I can ever be apart from social justice and especially climate justice now because there's not enough time to take a year like a break I can't take a break from organizing this like it's not gonna go away you know so trying to figure that out right now I don't know what that will look like but I know that I can't be away from it and so I will find a way (laughs) can can a person major in activism 
I don't know. But, you know, I actually think that they are trying to do that at UC Berkeley. Uh-huh. Um, I think it, it's new, but yeah, I don't I don't really know all the details on that. So I can't like give you my word on that. But they have like a um, community organizing class or something like that. And I think the idea is like trying to get classes like that popular so that they can turn it into a major because it's true. I think everyday people should have the skills to organize it definitely doesn't just come it takes a lot of practice and knowledge and I'm always learning something every day yeah so who who has trained you (laughs) a lot (laughs) I think it started as early as I can remember is listening to my grandpa's stories about his activism you know he was really awesome he I don't know why I say was. He's still here. He's still <laughs> fighting every day. And is this on your but mom's side or dad's side? My mom's side. Okay. Um, he burned his draft papers and like peed in front of the Koch brothers building in protests and like has done all these really incredible things his entire life. And just hearing all of his stories and just seeing him lead by example, I think was kind of my earliest introduction into social justice and and knowing that I wanted to be like that. Um, And then, you know, I joined Destiny and everything that we do is centered around social justice and talking about things that are uncomfortable and and moving through those things. And my family's like dinner time conversations are always about something that has to do with social justice. And, you know, at Passover, we're talking about like slavery and and modern day slavery and and Trump and all these very different things that are always present in my family and in in my way of thinking. And so I don't think there's like one specific person because I think it's just kind of been my life. What's the best advice that you've ever been given about how to make a demand in a way that you're going to get the answer you want or the change that you want to see? Hmm. You know, I think I've kind of just had practice talking to my parents. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I can't think of any advice that I've been given but I just did this like I guess it was a panel thing where I said that truth is respectful and so I think if you are always analyzing things from this perspective of of both truth and compassion then I think that you can accomplish that by demanding something, but still being able to get it. You know, I think you have to assess reality and what needs to be done and be truthful and be compassionate. And I think that you can accomplish that. That was Isha Clark, a high school student and activist with Youth versus Apocalypse, a climate justice group based in Oakland, California. You can find a link to Isha's organization, YVA, on my website at inflectionpointradio.org. I'm Lauren Schiller. This is Inflection Point, and this is how women rise up.